you're visiting with us today, welcome. We are in a Bible overview. Pastor emerged it last week, done Abraham part two. Um, today, we are going to be, we, this is going to be the last week prior to, as Pastor E mentioned, uh, two weeks kind of over the Easter period. So we're going to take a break from our Bible, in, uh, Bible, over, interview, Bible overview. In a few weeks' time, we'll come back to it. And maybe I'll talk a little bit about that as we go ahead. But we're going to be doing, we're going to be trying to look at Moses and looking at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy all in one sitting. Hey, let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you for the opportunity to meet together and for the reminder, Lord, during communion and also um, when Rich prayed, Lord, that we're ambassadors. (sighs) Lord, we're here for a reason and a purpose. That is as your people um, to represent you and to help others that don't yet know you come to know you and come into a wonderful relationship with you. And Lord, we're only, we're only copying you. We're only emulating you. We're only following in your footsteps because you're the ultimate missionary. You're the ultimate ambassador. Father, Jesus left heaven and came to earth to show the way. And um, help us as we consider that, as we think a little bit more about that, particularly in light of this great, big, wonderful story of the Bible. Help us, we pray, Father, today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, if this Bible overview were a box set, yeah, we would now be in the seventh episode of season one. Hey. And every episode has been about a mysterious main character that is yet to make his grand entrance. We keep getting these mysterious snippets that are really like a shadowy peek at this person, this main character. Last week we heard about Melchizedek. Again, a little sneak peek, like Melchizedek. Who's this Melchizedek? (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, it's to be continued. And at some point in the future, it's going to be like, oh, Melchizedek. Oh, Melchizedek. Today, hopefully, we'll see the the profile of this person, this main character, um, more plainly revealed. Now, whilst walking through the Bible, like we started in Genesis, which is a good place to start, right? We've met an important number of historical figures, haven't we? We We met Adam and Eve. We met Cain and Abel. Seth, who's the father of Enoch, who's the father of Methuselah, who's the father of Noah, or grandfather, dependent. We skipped a couple, right? Um, Noah is the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And over the past two episodes, that is last week and a week prior to that, um, we looked at who? Now, if you, now someone said Abraham. Now, some, some of you know that. And just ain't trying to engage with me, right? But some of you know that. Some of you don't know that. And if you didn't know that the last two weeks um, we were talking about Abraham, you can go on BBC iPlayer, or our version, that is, sermon.net. You know what I mean? And you can catch up. Catch up TV, hey. And also, we got an app. Well, it's not we got an app. Sermon.net, you can download the app from Sermon.net. Type in Ecclesia and type in either Pastor Ephraim Buckle, Robert Prendergast, or even Pastor Patrick, because he's got bare messages still on there from back in the day. Hey, salute to Pastor P. Um, it's one of the pastors that used to be here who went on to plant another church in Dulwich. 
And uh, Tim got married in a couple of weeks ago. Look at that. Wow. Wow. The church is moving on beautifully, wonderfully, healthfully. And um, why did I mention that? So sermon.net, if you go on there and type in any of our names, then you see, you know, we've got 417 messages up there. I don't it's like the past 10 years or something of messages. So you can kind of jump in and get your feet wet if you like to and catch up <laughs> um, in more ways than one. So our main character last week was Abraham. And today we're going to fast forward through Abraham's family line. <clears throat> Abraham has two sons, right? One of them, his first son is called who? Ishmael, and his second son is called Isaac. And Isaac is the chosen seed. Remember, we talked about this seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. You're going to see this consistent choosing from God of particular individuals within the family. God chooses Isaac, not Ishmael. He chooses Jacob, not Esau. Although, if you like, you look at the story, you'd be like, why? like Esau is the one that should have got chosen. Jacob, oh my gosh, he's a, he's a trickster, he's a fraudster, he's on some AC scam. He's the brother that will trip you up when you're running in front of him, like Jacob. His name means heel grabber. <laughs> like when he was coming out the womb, his, son, his brother tried to come out first and he grabbed him by the as a baby coming out the womb. <laughs> but God chose him. Isn't that encouraging for you if you're a sinner like, ja- like Jacob? I was going to say, if you're a sinner like me, you know what I mean, like Jacob. You know what I mean? We thank God for his goodness. <clears throat> and um, so Jacob, it's amazing because when God then chooses Jacob, he changes his name, doesn't he? What does he change Jacob's name to? Changes his name to Israel. Israel. And that's, and that's helpful because, because then Jacob has sons, Right? After he has his name changed, he has 12 sons who became known as the 12 sons of Jacob. But because his name gets changed, they're now the 12 sons of Israel. And they have a holy for kids. And their kids now become known. As, there's so many of them. They become known now as the 12 tribes of Jacob, of Israel. Now one of the significant sons of Jacob is who? It's probably two main sons that you might think of. They both begin with J. Right, right. We're going to come back to that one, Pastor Bertram. Um, Judah. Judah. Judah is vitally important. And we'll come back to him later on in the series, right? But <clears throat> who's the other very significant son of, of, of Jacob? Um, thank you. Oops. Joseph. The 11th son, Joseph. And for a, for a chain of fortunate or, you could say, unfortunate events, this family, God's people, end up living where? In Egypt. Hey, you guys have been reading ahead. Ooh. They, they live, and, 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 that, and we have just reviewed 2,000 years of history. Like one third of human history as we know it, we just done a review of. Now, and, and, and I just mentioned so many names, you probably can't even remember them all. But all of these, what happened to them eventually? Remember, remember, remember Genesis 5? Such and such had such and such, and he died. Such and such had such, and he died. All of these are dead. And why? Because as we've been seeing throughout the storyline, because there's this virus that contaminates everybody. And it's sin. And everybody keeps getting contaminated with this virus. And part of the cry of the text is, 
Oh, like, who's going to save us? Who's going to rescue us from this virus? Who's going to bring the antidote? Yeah, there's another character who's been playing a very significant role that hasn't died. Anybody know who that is? Enoch, he ain't human. Enoch died, Enoch died. Melchizedek, mm, uh-huh, you guys have really been listening. Pastor E, they've been really listening, man. Oi, what, <laughs> praise the Lord, Bibles, Bibles. This person's not human, there's a clue. And he's been, like, we just traveled, we traversed 2,000 years of, of biblical history, and this person has been walking through the whole, every scene, every episode, he's there. And I'm going to talk about him like this, because I think you're, you're getting it. It's one of two people. It's the other guy, <laughs> the devil. The devil, who's been actively influencing the storyline, and he's what you call the antagonist. You know what I'm saying? It's like, think about Star Wars. Who's the antagonist? Darth Vader. Dark Darth Vader, right? And you think about something like, do you not remember Heroes? I thought about this yesterday. Remember Heroes back in the day? Talking about box sets. Who was the antagonist? Sila. Remember Sila? <laughs> it's the character you love to hate. But, 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 but who is... Right, as, as the darkness fades and the sun comes out, who's, who is the ultimate influencing character in our blockbuster? Who's the God is? And he's the protagonist. It's like he's the champion. He's the last man standing. Hey. And we all love that, don't we? When you get to the end of the... If the film don't end like that, I don't like the film. <laughs> and, as, and based on the fact that you respond the way you do, I suspect you're the same as me. You know what I'm saying? We want the good guy to win in the end. Amen. And this helps us, doesn't it, as we take a step back to look at the big picture of the Bible. Because, because we get to see <clears throat> that which happens in the heavens as well as on the earth. Can you see how the Bible is, is sick like that? Can you see that? It helps. It could be argued... <clears throat> that there actually is a parallel universe. You know, Wikipedia, and I know you can't really put your trust in Wikipedia, right? In we're in church, we're not encouraging anyone to put their trust in Wikipedia. But I think, I do, I do agree with it here, in one sense. Wikipedia says, a parallel universe, which is fiction, fiction, it's not real, says, says, says Wikipedia, <laughs> is, is, is a self-contained separate world. It's, or, or it's a universe or reality coexisting with the real world. Hmm. Now, do you, now, who agrees that that's fiction? Amen. We don't, not one hand in the building. And I don't even think you need to be a Christian to agree with that. Something says there's something else going on that more than meets the eye. For me, immediately, that begins to make sense of the madness. Immediately, without even any real clear explanation. And, <clears throat> you know, last week, Pastor E quoted from Genesis 15, referencing 
the covenant. So we've got this picture of what's going on in the spiritual realm, and we've got a picture of what's going on in the natural realm, and somebody from this spiritual realm who doesn't die, can't die, right, steps into this natural realm and makes this agreement, makes this covenant with Abraham. <clears throat> That's where we ended up last week. That, and it's that he would give Abraham the land of Canaan as an inheritance, i.e. the land of promise. That's why it's called the promised land. Because God gave it to Abraham by promise. And we see a promise, and it's, remember, it's a unilateral promise. It's a covenant that God makes regardless of what anybody does or doesn't want to do. God is going to fulfill this covenant. And it's a covenant that's associated with blessing. Remember, covenants are always associated with blessings, but also curses. And a blessing for Abraham and anyone that will emulate Abraham's faith is that they will have a relationship with God. And then <clears throat> it also talks about the people of God with regards to Abraham becoming a great nation and God saying you're going to have a son, which was a bit of a drama, right? But we see God come through with his faithfulness and we see Abraham have a son called Isaac, have a son called Jacob, and, and God be, begins to refer to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We call them the patriarchs. And as I said, the other promise associated, the other blessing associated with the promise, with the covenant, is this land that he's going to give them, which is Canaan. It actually speaks of something else, but let's not get too complicated because it fundamentally starts with that land, literal land, Canaan, which becomes Israel. Now, apart from the land, which will be fulfilled in our next session after Easter, Easter when we look at Joshua, God, he's been faithful to his promises. To the point where Abraham's family, they've grown, which now brings us to Exodus. Now, I mentioned it earlier, that God's people are now living in Egypt, and our topic today, Moses, <clears throat> like Exodus to Deuteronomy, how do you cover four books in one session? <laughs> well, four points. First of all, Moses, we're going to talk about his background and birth. Two, we're going to look at his, um, uh, his calling in terms of his, him being God's designated deliverer. Three, Moses and the law and then Moses and the tabernacle. And what we will see is, I'll give you some subheadings, because really we want to make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. We're going to see Moses' background and birth, birth but we're going to see that God is in control. In terms of him being the deliverer, we're going to see, we're gonna, we're gonna, a question is going to come up, wait a minute, is, is Moses the deliverer, or is God the one who actually <laughs> rescues his people? Um, number three, looking at Moses and the law, what we'll see is through the law, God is going to sanctify his people. Really important to see that. And number four, we're going to see how God is now able to dwell with his people. Um, amen. So first of all, Moses, his background and birth, and we want to see that God is in control. So Joseph has been very influential. He He's been working closely with Pharaoh in the palace, as you know, and um, things very quickly go from really, really good to really, really bad. Like, literally. And 
it becomes very difficult for God's people to the point they end up as slaves. Exodus chapter 1. So it's a bit small. Let me read it. It says, These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob, right, who went to Egypt with their dad, Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Not many, but <laughs> more than Abraham and Sarah had initially, right? And it says, Joseph was already in Egypt. Because remember, his brothers had sold him into slavery. That's how he eventually ended up there. Like, a lot, lot of drama. 17 years of drama, actually. Now, Joseph, verse 6, and all his brothers and all that generation died because of the virus. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then... A new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing. Another translation says, who knew not Joseph. <laughs> like, Joseph, like, who's he? Like, and what? He didn't. He came to power in Egypt. Like, you can see, there's a real power shift. Things change dramatically. Verse 9, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us, you know. Come. We must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, yo, they'll join with our enemies. They'll fight against us and end up leaving the country. So verse 11 says, they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Notice in verse 12, this group now, they're called the Israelites. Oh, the Israelites. It's been, it's been about 400 years up to this point, that is since them coming into Egypt. And God's people, they're over a million, and that's conservatively speaking, they're over a million in number. Talk about God making them a great nation. It's good to step back and see God fulfill his promises. Sometimes they don't happen overnight. Amen? Don't be discouraged, wherever you might be. You know what I mean? Sometimes... The things that we desire, that we pray for, you know, we're talking about 25 days of prayer. The stuff we may pray for during this time that doesn't get answered, we would hope that it would get answered swiftly. Um, and the issue isn't, does God hear us? You know what I mean? But sometimes we have to tarry. <laughs> old, old school word, if, if you've got a praying grandmother from the last or previous generations, you know what I mean? You have to tarry. Oh, oh in prayer. And wait on the, and wait on the Lord, isn't it? Because it's not, Lord, you know, my will be done. Like, you know what I'm saying? Blah, 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 blah. My will be done. Amen. <laughs> no, it's Lord. Not my will, but your will. We petition, but at the end of the day, we have to leave it with him and say, Lord, not my, but your will be done. That's a healthy, that's a healthy manner to approach prayer. And, and so that God has fulfilled his promise, although it's taken a, a, a particular period of time. And some haven't even lived to see the promise. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, one of the things about legacy is, you know what I'm saying, especially as we look at our children and thinking about our children's children. It says in Proverbs, you know what I'm saying, a good man will lay down, you know what I'm saying, an inheritance, not just for his children, but for his children's children. You know what I mean? There's, pra- there's, a pr- there's, there's something practical in that that we need to think about as parents, especially as you're getting like me over the hill. You know what I mean? Um, but then also that, that speaks about having a vision that goes past me. And I tell you, honestly, it's been a bit hard because as I've been contemplating my next big birthday coming up this year, I'm like, man, I'm having to really seriously, like, you know, people talk about, oh, you get a mortgage or whatever, you have to get, um, you, you think about getting a pen, you're paying into a pension and, you know what I'm saying, it's like, oh, you think about, I've got to write a will and you kind of think about them things and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and even if you do them or you don't do them, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's way down in the future. <laughs> that stuff seems to be hurtling <laughs> towards me with great speed and intensity. That's how it feels. I'm like, past it, yeah, I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, man's like having to get his house in order on, the next le- like, on another level. Like, this stuff is real. And... Um, and, it, and, it's, and it's really healthy if you start thinking about that stuff way before the time you need to start thinking about it. You know what I mean? So you guys are in your 20s, you know what I'm saying? You millennials, you guys start to think about that stuff now because guess what? <laughs> I remember the days I used to jump on my bike and just ride my bike. I don't, I don't worry about the time or nothing, just, hey, let's go play. You remember them days? <laughs> I'm, wow. I remember when summertime used to be on the brink, like you're at school and it's July and you can't wait for like six weeks, ho- six weeks holiday. It's like it was never going to end. <laughs> and so, why did I make that point? Waiting for the promises of God, but also considering that you know what, individuals died before they saw the promise and we just have to think with that sort of longevity, you know what I mean? As, as um, It's healthy to think that. Obviously, we're not overwhelmed by it. But. And so, <clears throat> this, the, the sec- we just read the first part of chapter Exodus 1. The second part of Exodus 1 sees Pharaoh now moves even further. You'd think it's bad that the children of Israel are slaves now. He moves a stage further now and he declares the murder of what they call the innocents, the slaughtering of all the children up to a certain age. Now, now Pharaoh's the one that sends forth this dictate, but he, is he the one that's really running it? Is, is he the one that's really in charge? Or is there an influence, an invisible influence behind him motivating this? Yes, it is the man who makes the decision. That's why we can't say, oh, well, it's the devil that made me do it. Like, and not be culpable. We are. But at the same time, that influence is there. And we do well to be aware of that. Starts right from the garden, but it continues. And I'm saying, even to today. And we see the enemy at work. Now, and it's funny because that's not the only time in history you see this murderous desire to frustrate God's purpose through killing those that would represent him. We see this happen later on, don't we? 
with Jesus. And who, tries, who does exactly the same thing? Herod the despot. So the man dies, but how many of you see the spirit lives on? We live in a parallel universe, yo. There are external influences that are at work. And even though this edict goes forth, the midwives, they ignore Pharaoh's command and they allow the baby boys to live. You know what I'm saying? And during this time, a man and woman, both from the tribe of Levi, they have a son. And in order to protect him, he's placed where? In a basket. Now, guess what's significant about that? They take the baby and they put him in the basket. And where do they put the basket? On the water. Does that remind you of anything? Can you hear echo? We were there for three, four weeks ago. Wait a minute. The, fl- the ark. Do you know, now you guys are looking at me and I've got the slides up, so, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's not helpful because you're not looking at your Bible. Some translations, and if you've got your Bible open, what translations, what word um, do you have in Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, for the basket. I know we should have a few different translations. And some of you guys got, got the ability to check multiple translations. I'm not sure which one. I'm sure the King James. There's Harry. Remember Harry? Oh my gosh. Harry. Thank you. Who said Ark? Ark. What translation is that? New King Jimmy. All right, then see. Ark. Ark. And that's what it should remind you of. It reminds us of the ark. Because the ark is the place of safety. It's the place of preservation. Right? And it's funny because that same verse, what does it say they put on the, the, the basket, the ark? Bitumen, pitch, another translation. The same thing that Noah put on the ark. It's supposed to be reminding us of something. This is, remember, God used the ark to preserve his people, and here he is doing the same thing again. And <clears throat> the basket is found none, by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, Pharaoh sends forth the edict to murder all the kids. <laughs> and here is the kid that he wants dead, protected, and not only protected, but him doing the protecting. I'm saying, it's like it's raised under Pharaoh's nose, up close and personal, at his expense. How many of you know God is in control? <laughs> you, like that? you like that, brother B? Amen. God is in control. And you see, are you confronted by challenging, by difficult circumstances? I look around the room, because obviously I know some of you guys personally. And I'm saying, confronted with challenging circumstances. But it's like, we look at, it's, it's, it's funny, I can watch a film and I can see the drama build and oh my gosh, what's going to, oh no, no, what's going to happen? And I can see it and I'm, I'm, I get sucked in, in it to the point where I'm like, rah, I actually believe what I'm seeing, you know what I mean? Like pinch me and I'm like, oh, oh, oh I'm in my front room, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, just hold the water and stabilize myself. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you, we, can, we can get so drawn and we watch and... For all intents and purposes, we know that the drama is going to be resolved. But then switch off the television, come back to my reality now, and I'm overwhelmed by my challenges. I'm overwhelmed by that which I'm confronted with. I'm overwhelmed by next week and what's going to happen next month and what may happen next year or what's happened last week or what's happened last month. And I'm overwhelmed by that. 
But we need, to, and, and stories like this are helpful because they remind us that, you know what, regardless of what I'm confronted with, regardless of what you're being challenged by, God is in control. God is in control. We saw it last week with Abraham, last two weeks. Abraham had bare drama, but God was in control. May God encourage us. May God encourage you. God is in control. Thank you. Amen. Now Moses grows up as an adopted son in the palace. You guys seen the film, The Prince of Egypt. It's a great film. Great bit of animation. But for some reason, Moses growing up in the palace, it's like, it's like something's not right. Something's wrong. And he comes to that point where he realizes that he's not really cut out to be an Egyptian. Now, further to the fact that Pharaoh raised, or um, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household, there was one point where Pharaoh's daughter actually sent for Moses' birth mother to come and take care of <laughs> to take him and to take care of him. Now, we don't know when, but at some point, Moses becomes aware that he's not Egyptian. He becomes, he becomes well aware of the fact that he's, that he's an Israelite. <coughs> Exodus 2, verse 11 through 12. Maybe this is a bit easier to read. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people, where his people were and watched them as their, at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he, ki he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, this is, this is partly, remember we're talking about Moses' background and birth. It's like this is giving you a little bit of insight to the person of Moses. You know what I'm saying? He sees a problem, well, I'll just deal with that. It's like, I mean, I'm... I'm the son of the, of the Pharaoh, quote unquote. You know what I'm saying? I can manage, like there's no situation that I can't manage. And he manages it. He takes care of it. The next day, verse 13, he went out and saw two Hebrews, two, two, two Hebrews fighting. Now, what's he going to do? He asked, he asked the one, now he doesn't deal, do with the, 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 the Hebrew, the, what he did with the Egyptian, because this is his people now, right? <laughs> he sees two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one, who was in the wrong, he says, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Remember, he's the man who takes care of things, right? The man said, wait a minute. Like, like who the heck do you think you are? What, because you're what? Because you're from the, what, you're from the palace. What, because what? Because you've got a sword and what? Because you, you control, you, you, you control um, thousands of soldiers. What? The man said, who made you? A ruler, all right, you got us enslaved and you do, but you know what? Virgin, like, mind your own business. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? What, you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? What, you think, you think nobody never see what you do? You know what I mean? Now, now look, Moses was then afraid and thought, oh, what I did must, must have become known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, oi, he now tries to kill Moses. So Moses has got to run, for, he's got to run for his life, he got to duck out. And he went to live in this place called Midian, where he sat down by a well. 
to contemplate, like, like what, what's happened to my life? You ever, been in that, you ever been in that place where one minute everything is, hey, and the next minute, Moses sitting down, scratching his head, thinking. So <clears throat> what I'm trying to highlight is Moses recognizes that God has got a call on his life, right? And I'm suggesting that. That is to be a ruler and a judge. Otherwise, why would he get involved in people's business the way he just did two times, right? He obviously sees himself as some arbiter you know, of right and wrong, you know what I'm saying? And in one sense, it, can be com- it could be commended in one sense. You don't go around murdering people, you know what I mean? When <clears throat> he sees himself as a ruler and a judge, but the thing is, but it's not for this time. It's not at this particular moment. He was the right man, but this ain't the right moment. And you know, sometimes we're convinced that we are to be or to do something. And sometimes it's true, we are to be and to do, but the time just ain't right. It ain't now. And again, going back to just being patient, and, and because we, we've seen in the story, haven't we, how Abraham determined that he was going to make it happen. And hey, step with Hagar, great idea. No, it was a bad idea. And again, we're seeing potentially, you know what I'm saying, someone seizing what they genuinely feel to be God's purpose and will. And it is, but it ain't, it just ain't for right now. And there's going to be a few more years before Moses was ready. 40 years to be exact. <laughs> you know, it would take one day to get Moses out of Egypt, but it would take 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses. Moses, he becomes a shepherd, doesn't he? Um, because he's going to become a shepherd. He becomes a shepherd of sheep because he's going to become a shepherd of people, right? And you could see Moses at this point, whether it's sitting at the well, you know what I'm saying? He's been out of Egypt for a while, so his palace garments are a bit tatty. You know what I'm saying? Maybe he's had to get some new clothes and... You know what I mean? He looks like a peasant, possibly. And you'd be like, oh, like five years, like ten years down. You're like, wait a minute. Couple with couple, your man them from the palace in Egypt. You know what I'm saying? Going over to, I don't know, going, going, over, going over to Midian. Or what? You're going through Midian, because it's, it's a furrow. Like, no one, you know, no one don't really live in Midian. You know what I mean? We're going somewhere else, Alexandra or somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Going to Cyrene. Or, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, that look like, don't that look like... That brother looks like, I swear that guy looks like Moses. Like, what do you mean Moses? That can't be Moses, but don't you remember? Moses ran out of town like a few years ago. No one ain't seen him. Like, yeah, for real, you know. I can't, I'm going to go ask him. I'll be in the, you know when you feel like, you see someone, you think, I'm sure I know that person. He goes over, he's like, Moses, is that you? And Moses looks up and Moses is like, um, yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's me, it's Moses. He's like, well, I knew, I told you it was Moses. Like, yeah, it's, it's Moses. He's like, what are you doing out here, man? You know what I'm saying? Like, you left the, like, Egypt and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, what, is, 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 is you got your own little business out here? Like, you're looking after sheep and whatever. You know what I mean? And Moses is like, yeah, you well, I'm looking after the sheep, but it ain't my business. Um, <clears throat> I don't own the sheep. They belong to my, fa- my father-in-law, Jethro. Man's like, Ruh. like, it wouldn't have been so bad if you was out here doing well for yourself. You're like, you got your own business and whatever. But, bro, the man's like, Ruh, look how the mighty have fought. Like, they say this as they're walking away from him now. Look how the mighty have fallen. 
You ever felt like that? After coming into relationship with God, you think, oh my gosh, like, the world is my oyster. Like, I'm a, like, just call me Alexander the Great. I'm a conk, like, you know, it's like, but that doesn't actually happen. It might do. It might do, but more often than not, it don't, it don't happen. And, um, and you find yourself in that place like Moses, sitting at the well, scratching your head thinking, you know what? If I had just chilled, if, why, why, did I, why did I even get involved with the Egyptian fighting against the Jew? But, but, but then again, I'm a Jew. No, but, but I'm an Egyptian. Like, why did I even get involved in that in the first place? I, I, could, be, I could be nice right now. You ever felt like that? Like accepting Christ. I heard someone say once, Lord, I'm not surprised you have so few friends that you do the way you treat the ones that you have. You ever felt like that? Becoming a Christian. <clears throat> and what happens to Moses is a bit like, is a bit opposite to what happened to Joseph. So Moses, like, everything's great, isn't it? You look at Moses, Moses, like, oh my gosh, he's pretty. He's like, he, 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 you know what I'm saying? He, he, he baths in goat's milk and, you know what I'm saying? He's he, like, he, like, banging out Jim, you know what I'm saying? It's like Moses, like, oh, he looked like Tim, you know what I mean? Stand up, Tim, joke. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know what I mean? And, 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 and now, it's the complete opposite. So things was really good, they went really bad. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's helpful to say this. With Joseph, things was really bad, but they got really good. I'm like, uh, uh, sh surely that caters for everybody. Things are either really good or really bad, or things are really bad, they get really good. I'm like, but in the midst of it all, the encouragement, at least from this first point, is don't be, don't be discouraged. Because God is in control. And that's good news for the person who's down in the dumps, really can't feel like I can't even face going to work. Tom tomorrow's Monday. I don't want to go to work. I can't face work. You know what I mean? That's for that person. But it's also good for the person who's on the mountaintop. Like, and, the, and it's sunshine and it's springtime. You know what I'm saying? The sun's shining for you. This is good news for you too. That is, God is in control. Because then, at either end of the spectrum we could come a cropper. Moses finds a wife. <laughs> it's funny how many people find a wife after they come into a relationship with God. I know that's my testament anyway. And uh, amen. And it was a good thing 27 years ago, praise the Lord. And he gets married and he has a son called Gershom. All right, Robert, keep it moving. Exodus 2. During that long period... <laughs> for Moses, right? It says the king of Egypt died. This is that bad mind brother who didn't appreciate who Joseph was, right? <clears throat> the Israelites groaned in their slavery. You hear that? And cried out. And their cry for help um, because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. And remember, this is years ago, right? So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. That's just a few verses, but so weighty. Don't ever believe the lie that says God has forgotten about you. Don't believe that. That's a lie. 
You know, if you're his, the Bible says that God has inscribed your name on the palms of his hands. Now, trust me, when it comes to hands, there's a lot that I can say, like based on my re recent experiences as I raise up my plaster cast. I've thought a lot about hands recently. <laughs> and this is my dominant hand, like I'm not left-handed, so I've got to be begging help for everything. I had to ask Tyler, our little foster son, he's like eight, Tyler, could you tie my shoelaces for me, please? <laughs> I remember my ste stepdad, and this, you know, this, maybe this is a, just a reminder for the future. My stepdad used to say, once a man, twice a child. Because you're a child when you start out, and by the time you get to the end, if, you're, if, you have, if, if, you're, if God is gracious enough to allow you to run the race till you reach 50, 60, 70, you become a child again. It's very humbling. You know what I mean? But God's written his... Like, I've been looking at my hands, or at least this one. I'm looking forward to seeing this one. You know what I mean? And just seeing things I've never seen before. Like, ter Teresa was just showing me yesterday. She had surgery on both hands, and she showed me how one great doctor, sorry, one doctor butchered her hand. Like, the scar just, it's like, it looks like an A to Z, like the scar. And then I'm all over her hand. And the other hand, you can't even see it, because the doctor, when he, when he made the incision, he went with the, you know, went with the flow. You know what I mean? And, and I'm, like, I'm just saying, like, if, like, this is stuff that you kind of think about when you're in my state. And I looked and I thought, wow, there's stuff that I never really noticed about my hands. But my hands, it's like, they're always with me. I can't get away from them. You know what I'm saying? I'm learning to appreciate them more. And I'm saying, if God has written your name in his hands, it's like a tattoo, like it's permanent. You hear about scarification? It's deeper than a tattoo. You hear about scarification? Where people don't just put ink in their skin, they cut, they, they cut their skin. Just type in scarification and you, you see one picture you won't want to see anymore. It's tattoos made by cutting. And, pour, and sometimes they finish, you see a whole, a whole bag of flesh on the, on the thing where they finish the big tattoo on the back. I'm saying, but, that, but that's what God has done. And, that, and it's, it's indelible. It's, is my point is like, don't believe that lie that God has forgotten about you. It's a lie. See, and it says, it says, it says God remembers his covenant. Not that he forgot. He remembers his covenant or he's reminded. Yeah, oh, yeah, wait a minute. These people, they're crying out to me. But wait a minute, these are my people. Yo, these are, like, they're my people. I have to do something for my people in the light of their circumstances and it says, verse 25, that God was concerned about them. God has compassion on his people. And God expresses his commitment in his unilateral promise, like, I'm going to bring you to a better place. Well, how was God going to get them out and then to get them in? That is, out of Egypt in order to get them into the promised land. Well, by delivering them. By delivering them, right? Exodus. Movement of the... Mm, 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 mm. These little things, they help you. They help me to remember. Exodus, the movement of God's people. God is going to deliver them. Our second point. Moses, God's designated deliverer. God rescuing his people whilst getting on with his new life, right? This is Moses. Not fully cognizant of God's plan. He's got to the point where he probably even forgot about, you know, God's plan and purpose for my life. And I'm out here. All he knows now is, boy, I know how to herd sheep. 
I know how to cut the thing off. He's an expert shepherd. That's all he's given his life to at this particular point. And maybe not fully cognizant of God's perfect plan, right? Remember, years before, he had an inkling that he was the man. God then now appears to Moses at the burning bush or at the bush that doesn't burn. In Exodus 3, the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. See, God sees. I've heard them crying. See, God hears. Out because of the slave drivers. You know, in the New Testament, it says, knock, seek, ask, right? You see, all three of those things. And in, in the context of, of knocking, seeking, and asking, it's do all of them at the same time. It's like you come to like Mark's door, and you don't just say, Mark, are you in? That's, that's asking. No, you're ringing on the doorbell, you're banging on the door knocker, you're banging on the door, and you're shouting at the same time, Mark! Right, it's all of those things at the same time. I'm saying, can you see, Old Testament, New Testament, God sees, God hears, we can be encouraged. He says, I heard a crying out because of the slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Verse 8, so, you know what? I have come down to rescue them. Wow. Wow. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've reached me, you know, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, you know. So now, go. Now, Lord speaking to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So the question is, looking at that text, is who's the actual deliverer? Because in one minute, one minute it says it's God, and the next minute it says it's like, who's the, who's the real deliverer? Notice the Israelites, <laughs> they're not moving into a brand new barrack home, right? They're not, it's already occupied where they're going. That's a problem. Another issue is, Look who the current tenants are. Talk about like neighbors from hell. Look at the end of verse 8. Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now, who are these? Do you remember? We looked at, obviously, the line of, of Abraham on the right in the red. But then look at the other group. Wait a minute. Those, they're Ham's kids. Come back to that later on in the series. This isn't going to be pretty. But before we get to the possessing and the getting into the land, they have to first get out of Egypt. In response to Moses' fears after speaking to God at this bush, God tells him to tell the people who was ultimately sending him. The Lord says to Moses, tell the people that I am has sent you. And one of the things we see here is that Moses is really a transformed man because how I many of you know Moses ain't, yeah, Lord, it's like, I've been, you know how long I've been waiting? It's like, I told you that I was the guy. Like, at last, you've realized. You come round to your senses. Right, boom, boom let's go. Should have gone from a long time, right? It, <laughs> Moses doesn't respond like that. Moses is like, what, me? It's like, no, you can't be talking to me. I can't speak. And, and when you read the text, it's like, the Lord's like, 
his anger begins to burn. It's like the Lord said, remember, I made you Moses. Remember, I do know that I know how your mouth and your vocal cords will function. And God gets angry with him. But I'm, my point is, Moses doesn't, Moses is a different man now. And, and, and that's often why the Lord allows us to go through the things that we do because we cannot be changed or be transformed otherwise. Think about Jeremiah 18 where it talks about the potter and the clay. How I many of you know in order to get the clay to respond, you've got to apply pressure? And it sometimes is painful. But the only way Moses is going to become the man that God can now use. Was it Spurgeon that said, before the Lord can really use a man, he's got to deeply bruise a man. And Moses is like putty in the Lord's hands now. He's no longer brash and bold and bolshy, and he's not the pugnacious prince of Egypt. I'm saying, how many, has anybody experienced that before? That break in? Yeah, it's like a John 12, past eight. Except a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. Until there is death, there ain't going to be no life. Wonderful, beautiful daffodils coming up from that ugly bulb that goes deep in the ground that you don't even see. I mean, that's where the life comes from. And it's, it's, a, it's a consistent pattern in scripture. <clears throat> and it's amazing because who gets the glory here? Who gets the, oh, you're the guy. You're like, it's like, you're the, like, it's Lord, you know, all caps, Yahweh. We hear the Lord Jesus echo these very words and identifies himself with Yahweh in John chapter 8 when he says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus is, again, it's another snapshot. I'm one of those <clears throat> reminders about actually who the story really is all about. Like Melchizedek, these shadowy pictures, right? The Lord says at the beginning, Moses, before you go, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. He's not going to let the people go. But in time, <laughs> I will loosen Pharaoh's grip. You know what I'm saying? I will work on him. And in the next few chapters, God sends 10 plagues. 10 plagues. Plague of blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. And then the plague of death on the firstborn. Death on the firstborn. And this is God in the process of rescuing his people. It suggested that each one of these somehow represented the so-called gods of Egypt. And this is God just boxing them over one by one. The gods that they worshipped and, and, and adored. and God just showing them that they're no gods at all. I am the Lord God. And there is none like me. There is none beside me. And it suggested, <clears throat> it's funny because which one of these was the most significant, would you say? The last one, isn't it? Because that's the one that reached, for, the, the rest of them, he was like, yeah, like whatever, whatever. Until his son got killed at the Passover. And that one reached him. In Exodus 12, it says, the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, 
and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a, what? A lamb for his family, one for each household. Verse five, the animals you choose must be year old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats, interesting point, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Do you know what, G what, what day Jesus, the Lamb of God, do you know what day he was crucified? Same day, 14th day, Passover. Remember, one day goes into the next. So part of the day is the day prior to Passover. At 6 p.m. is the next day. The Jewish calendar doesn't work like ours. Our day starts at midnight. Their day starts at 6 p.m. in the evening. This is the same day that Jesus was crucified. It goes on to say, when all the members of the community of Israel <clears throat> must slaughter them when? At twilight. Guess when Jesus died on the cross? 6 p.m. Friday, Passover. It's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Twilight. Interesting. Verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Notice on the two sides of the door, two sides, and also on the top of the door. Right? If you draw a line between the spots where the blood is, guess what you get? You get a cross. Because you've got blood on the top, you've got blood on the sides, and the blood from the top is dripping on the floor. You've got the sign of a cross. Is that coincidence? And guess what the door frames are made of? It says, verse 8 says, That same night they are to eat the meat roasted, roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire. With the head, legs, and internal organs, do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left until morning, you must burn it. Why? So there's nothing left. Verse 11, this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, you know and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch, will touch you when I strike Egypt. Notice, God comes down himself. But notice, this time when God comes down, it's not to bless. He comes down to bless his people. And notice, the lamb dies instead of the firstborn. An animal, a lamb, is a substitute for the human. And we've seen that, haven't we, in the story of the Bible. We looked in Genesis where Adam and Eve sinned and there is an animal that's slaughtered, we suspect, at least. Where did they get the clothes from to put on? Blood. 
Same thing with Abraham in Genesis 22, where Abraham has to go up the hill to sacrifice his son. But then before he plunges the knife into his chest, there's a ram caught in the thicket, sheep or a goat in the thicket, and he uses that as a sacrifice. Flashbacks in our film, and you're like, oh. You ever watched the film? I heard Teresa say it to, to, to my wife yesterday. They're talking about some film. I can't remember what it was. Some film I ain't seen. And I didn't want to hear, like, no, no, no. I didn't want to hear the end, right? So I hear them talking about this film, and it's like Inception. You, sometimes you've got to watch a film twice to really understand it. You know that film's complicated, right? And you're like, oh, you, you watch it and you're like, oh, I missed that the first part. And it makes sense of the whole film. What we see happening here with this lamb is so substantial to the point where we celebrated it again today. Brother Andrew, Mr. Carnegie taking us through communion. Flashbacks. John 1.29 helps us by saying, John says, this is future now. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5 says, For Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. Can you see the focus of the Bible is fundamentally on the person of Jesus? Okay. So God's people make it out of Egypt via the means of this last plague. But there's still a problem. And that is, I'm going to summarize this now, Pharaoh and his army, <laughs> they start to chase them. And in Genesis 14, they start running after them. It's like, why did we let them go? We're going to go back and get them and bring them back into captivity. But God is rescuing his people. And it's, and it's a reminder, isn't it, of... When we become Christians, that is when we get saved, the process continues in that. Do you notice <clears throat> in, in, in that particular portion of text, again, I'm, I'm resisting the temptation to read it because I know my time's gone. But in this particular portion of text, do you remember how God eventually ultimately deals with Pharaoh and his armies? So the children of Israel, they come to the Red Sea and they, there's no way to go. They're caught between the devil, Pharaoh, and the deep Red Sea, right? God splits the sea so they can walk through. They walk through and as they're coming through, Pharaoh starts to come through and the water drowns them. So what we see is something that's quite significant. <clears throat> there's two elements of deliverance. One was the blood back in Egypt on the doors, but now they're also being delivered through water so faith back in the blood and now <laughs> there's a type of baptism where they go through the water if you like down into and up out of the water and I'm not making it up first Corinthians 10 says I want you to know says Paul brothers he says that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are what? Being saved. Salvation is a process, is my point. He says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this process of salvation is manifold. It starts off with initial deliverance through the blood, ongoing progressive deliverance 
through the power of the Spirit, and then glorification where we're completely, totally delivered and transformed as this pr progression, this process. Ray Comfort says it's a bit like, you know when you get saved and you feel like, yeah, I'm a Christian, praise God, I'm going to heaven, everything's going to be all right, ultimately. And you say, at last I can see light at the end of the tunnel. You hear that expression, right? And then he said, Ray Comfort says, he kind of rubbed his eyes and blinked and he looked and he thought, oh. He said the light at the end of the tunnel was a freight train coming straight for him. And that helpfully reminds us that when you become a Christian, you're justified. But now here begins the process of being sanctified. And it's painful. Again, I look around the room and a number of you, a number of us are experiencing that challenging process of sanctification. And it hurts because it's through that process that we are actually being changed. And it's funny because baptism speaks of being dead to the world in Romans 6. And um, the picture here is the children of Israel are now being cut off from the world or from Egypt. A picture of the world. And the power of sin that they're still struggling with, the flesh. And also the devil who Pharaoh is a picture of. And let me end on <clears throat> this whole thing about... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You ever felt like that? You felt like, you know, at one minute I, like I'm at church and I'm smiling and everything's great and praise the Lord and how are you? I'm, wow, things are wonderful. And then within a, a split second or a, a matter of hours, you know what I'm saying? You're like the monster from the Black Lagoon. Like, see, like, what happened to the little lamb, the, you know what I'm saying? Baby Jesus, Mika Mao type character. You ever experienced, like, one minute you're Dr. Jekyll and next minute you're Mr. Hyde? You ever experienced that as a believable boy? Thank you, my brother. Amen. And, and, you, and you're like, I'm a Christian. Oh, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm alive in Christ. No, but no, you're, you're dead. Would you, am I alive? Am I dead? Am I, am I in? Am I out? Am I up? Am I down? And you ever feel like that? Like, you, get, like you feel like you're, what's the word? Um, schizo. You feel like you're schizophrenic. Like, who am I? And that's, and that's what Paul experiences, and he cries out, and he says, Lord, who will deliver me from the body of this death? That's that dual, that dual battle. And, he, and then he, he concludes in saying, Jesus, you're the only one that can set me free, you know what I mean, from this battle that I'm challenged by. I don't have time to talk about the, fourth, the third and the fourth point, which is... Um, <clears throat> how God sanctifies his people... So we're saved, justified, but this process of sanctification, how he uses the law to actually sanctify us. And it's funny how God saves his people, then he gives them the law. He doesn't say, oh, but wait a minute, before you put the blood on the doorpost, let me just give you my Ten Commandments. And if you keep the Ten Commandments, then I'll deliver you from Egypt. He doesn't do that. He delivers them from Egypt. And then when they come out through Egypt, they're delivered, they're saved, they're rescued. He then says, now let me give you my law. And the reason, of, reason for that is because the law, we don't, I think I've got a statement, let me not misquote it. God saves, then he introduces the law because it's not an attempt for us to earn our salvation. Keeping the law is a response to the fact that we have salvation. And you can't keep the law anyway apart from God's grace at work powerfully in your life and the law goes on to do three things it reveals our sin 
the Lord reveals our savior, because when you see the sin, you're like, oh my gosh, I got the virus, I need a savior. And it reveals our savior, who's Jesus. And then the third thing that the Lord does, it reveals God's standards. It helps us to see who God really is. Thankfully, the law is not there for us to try to keep, to try and make us right with God. You can't keep the law. Try it. I'll give you an hour before you break it. Amen. Jesus came and he kept the law for us. And then the fourth thing we would have looked at is the fact that, you know what? God now will tabernacle with his people. God's going to say to the children of Israel in the wilderness, right, I want you to make a tent. And they call it the tent of meeting. It's the place where God is now going to meet with his people. And he can because they've been, they've been justified by the blood and they've been sanctified by the spirit and they've been set apart and they're holy. Now God can meet with his people on that basis. And it's a beautiful picture of what God does for us through the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to invite the guys to come up with me if they're not asleep. <laughs> Someone turned the lights off. I think half of you just went to sleep. <laughs> and I got no sleep last night. Praise God, they turned the lights off. <laughs> so, as the guys are coming up, Oh, you switch it off. <clears throat> As the guys are coming, I'll just read Exodus 40 and 25. It says, Exodus 25, 22 says, <clears throat> There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant, this is in the tabernacle, God says, I will meet with you. Exodus 40 says, Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work building the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. This is the presence of God. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of the Israelites during all their travels. Let me pray. Father, thank you. <clears throat> because we see how you lovingly respond to the need of your people. Father, the text says that you saw their affliction and you came down to rescue them. And you didn't just come down <clears throat> to rescue them in terms of giving them nicer houses to live in, although you did, and um, a better environment, Lord, for them to enjoy, although you did. Fundamentally and ultimately what you were doing was creating an opportunity and an environment where you could meet with your people. Thank you for that process. And it's, it was your idea to take a sacrifice <clears throat> who would shed its innocent blood. As Mr. Carnegie said earlier, in order that those who are guilty could be brought into right relationship with you. The innocent, slaughtered, slain for the guilty. 
in order that we might be brought into right relationship with you. Thank you, Father, that you did this for us ultimately in the Lord Jesus. He became that which the lamb in the Passover story symbolized, signified, was a shadow of. And it's no light thing that we stand to worship you. It's no light thing that we meet like this. What's the reason for church? What's the point of getting together on a Sunday? Like, what's that all about? There's deep meaning and healthy rationale for us to meet like this because of what you did. And it's because of what you did we get to meet, not just with one another. This is not a social club, although we <laughs> socialize. But Father, what we get to do is get to meet with you. And we thank you for that. And we thank you how the story of the Bible continues to Father, like a pop-up book, we're getting to see things that we possibly didn't understand before that continue to illustrate your desire to be with us. God with us. Emmanuel. Thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.